Shalom, friends. This is Mitch Glazer from Chosen People Ministries. And joining me today is my co-host, Bobby Walter, who leads our work in the great holy land of the West, New York City. Shalom, Bobby. Welcome. Shalom, Mitch, and welcome, everybody. You are listening to The Chosen People. And today we're going to be looking at the story of God's faithfulness. And really, what we're going to focus on, Mitch, I'm very excited about this, is we are going to be looking at the joyous holiday that's also known as the Feast of Dedication, or Hanukkah. All righty. This is definitely about my favorite Jewish holiday. I think it competes with uh, Passover. And of course, the way we evaluate whether or not a holiday is really, really good is on the basis of food. Mm. And so Passover has its own uh, wonderful menu. Uh, but Hanukkah, even though we don't really deal with main courses, uh, we have uh, traditionally eaten potato latkes or potato pancakes. And my wife, Sahava, has a great recipe for that. Make sure you add some onions, I'm just telling mm. you. Grate them in and you'll really do well. Nice and crispy. And uh, you can eat them with sour cream. And you can also eat them with applesauce. Yeah. Mitch, which do you prefer? What's your go-to? Uh, but both. I, 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 oh, you, you don't want to know. You don't want to know, Bobby. <laughs> but you know me. I'll have. I, I put ketchup on everything, so I ruin everything. So, but you'll be happy to know that if I have it with sour cream, I'll use ketchup. If I have it with applesauce, I, I refrain. Okay. So you know, it's not that bad. Very good. Very good. <laughs> and then, of course, in Israel, uh, we have souvganiot, which is uh, very unhealthy jelly donuts. Or they can be filled with dulce de leche, which basically tastes like caramel. It's soft. It's delicious. My wife's from Argentina, and I love dulce de leche. And uh, so it's pretty good, though. You can have potato pancakes for your dinner, along with a few other things, and then you can have the sufganiot for your dessert. <laughs> right. And Bobby, they, they're all made with so much oil. Why so much oil? Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the tradition is it, it has to do with uh, the story of Hanukkah. And, you know, even though it, it most likely did not happen, this was a much later sort of uh, adding to the history or, or trying to fill in the gray area of the history. So this is one of those Jewish, this is one of those miracles that might not be true, but we celebrate it anyway because it really makes us feel exactly. good. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and that's the miracle okay. that the one cruise of oil that was only supposed to last one day actually lasted eight days. So now we cook everything in, you know, nice oil and grease. Lots of oil, lots of oils. Saturated or unsaturated, Bobby? I'm not That I'm is not above sure, my pay grade, you know, Mitch. I'm not sure. Yeah. My, at my stage of life, you know, we, we watch that saturated oil. So let's talk about the story of Hanukkah. It's all about deliverance. It's all about salvation. It's all about God's faithfulness, how God promised the Jewish people that he would never let the Jewish people be destroyed. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 35 and following. Uh, Paul in Romans 11, verses 28 and 29, talks about the bright redemptive future of the Jewish people when the Jewish people turn to Jesus and Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom. And we know all that is true from God's word. And so the Lord would never allow the Jewish people to be destroyed. Now, if you remember in the book of Daniel, the statue, the one with the uh, clay feet, mm -hmm. 
And if you remember, that, that statue represented the different nations that attacked Israel and dominated Israel throughout their history. Right. So it began with the Babylonians and the Medo-Persians and then the Greeks mm -hmm. and then the Romans. And then they would, that last kingdom would be crushed by a stone cut out without hands, which we, of course, believe is the Messianic kingdom. Right. And so all of these nations brought some type of judgment upon Israel because of Israel's disobedience, but God brought judgment upon them mm -hmm. because they brought judgment on Israel. So one of the, I think, the stealthiest attacks on Israel was by the Greeks because the Greeks were not going to simply wipe out the Jewish people like the Babylonians or the Medo-Persians, but instead they were going to transform the Jewish people from the inside out. So it was, it was more than just a military conquest. It was like an ideological conquest. Yeah, and religious even. Mm -hmm. I think the, the, the Greeks at that time uh, was just so fervent about their literature, about their history, about their view as a nation, and also about uh, their gods. Mm -hmm. And so the Greeks had a pantheon of gods. So Antiochus Epiphanes, who was a Syrian Greek general, one of four that was in charge of the empire that Alexander the Great bequeathed to his generals. And so uh, this bit of the kingdom included Egypt, actually, and it also included Israel. And so Antiochus, who the Jewish people called Epiphanes, sort of a manifestation, they also called him the madman, because he really thought he was a manifestation of the Greek gods. Mm -hmm. And um, and so the emissaries of Antiochus Epiphanes would go from village to village, calling upon the Jewish people to worship a statue of Antiochus. And when they came to the town of Modi'in, mm -hmm. which is in between the airport and uh, Jerusalem, so to speak, <laughs> at least that's my usual route, but Modi'in is still there. And and so they came into Modi'in, and it was a little village that was close enough to Bethlehem, not more than a half day's walk, maybe. Now, these Maccabees were not Scottish, they were Jewish. They were actually Hasmoneans. They were a priestly line. And so they had a role at the temple, and so they lived near the temple. But they came to uh, the uh, emissaries of Antiochus, asked the Maccabees and their fellow villagers to bow down and swear allegiance to Antiochus Epiphanes and worship him as the one true god of the Greeks. Again, another way that the Greeks were trying to erode the identity religiously, culturally, politically, nationally of the Jewish people from the inside mm -hmm. out. And so these, these Hasmoneums, these Maccabees, decided not to do it, and uh, they fled for the hills, and they fought a guerrilla warfare battle with the Syrian Greeks for about three years between 167 and 164 BC. And eventually they won. But what they found out, what they won was really horrendous. They found out that actually the Syrian Greeks, just to make matters worse, decided to desecrate the temple. And uh, Bobby, why don't you fill us in on what they did? Yeah, so it was really horrible, honestly. And it's almost similar to what Daniel described as the abomination of desolation, or, or at least, you know, one version of it. Uh, because what Antiochus Epiphanes had done is he erected a an idol to Zeus, and this idol to Zeus actually happened to look like Antiochus Epiphanes. So, again, it gives us a little bit more insight into his 
uh, psyche and his mindset, and they sacrificed a pig, a swine, on the altar in the temple in Jerusalem. So, the temple was now desecrated completely. It was unusable in the eyes of, uh, of the Jewish people. So, when the Maccabee rebels, freedom fighters, regained the temple, the first thing that they had to do is clean it. They had to cleanse the temple and rededicate it. But we know that it was such a terrible desecration that they couldn't uh, cleanse it at all, but rather looked forward to the cleansing of the stones, the cleansing, really even a greater cleansing of the altar by the prophet, who in the Jewish mindset was identified with the Messiah because of Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 and following, where Moses said that a great prophet would arise. And it kind of flows into what I think we'll talk about in just a few moments in terms of the fulfillment or uh, the observance of Hanukkah during the time of Jesus. Actually, it's never mentioned in the Old Testament because it happened after the Old Testament was completed. So, But Hanukkah is definitely mentioned in the New Testament, which we'll get to. And so they took the stones from the altar, laid it aside, and actually said that they would wait until the true prophet arises, and that true prophet would cleanse the stones and use those stones to rebuild the altar. Right. And when they rededicated it, when they, uh, they removed the former altar, they went through everything just to, to make it clean again and usable again. And once it was ready, once it was good to go, it was around December— Okay, uh, or the Hebrew month is Kislev, and uh, they started to sacrifice once again, and they said, listen, we need to celebrate this. So they spread word all throughout the Jewish world in Jerusalem and Israel and beyond, and they initiated this new holiday called Hanukkah, which means dedication. And what's interesting about this, Mitch, a few months ago, you'll remember, we had a conversation, an episode where we talked about Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles. Right. When, when, well, right. when we read the, uh, the literature from 1st Maccabees and 2nd Maccabees, and they were instituting Hanukkah, they said, let's celebrate it for eight days in the same manner as we celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Because that was the last feast that they could have celebrated in the temple if it wasn't desecrated. You know, I, I think one of the most interesting parts of this whole story, Bobby, the idea of this great prophet and the idea of the Messiah was sort of intertwined already, even in the first century. And so there was a great expectation. There was almost a messianic expectation, kind of hidden or buried in the celebration of the Feast of Dedication. really excited about what you're about to hear. It's part of a series of five videos that we've done on Advent. Of course, you'll only hear the audio, and you'll hear my, my dear colleague, uh, Bobby Walter, speaking to you about the importance of the Advent season. And of course, we know the Advent season is all about first coming prophecies of the Messiah. We have second coming prophecies of the Messiah, of course, and we have first coming prophecies of the Messiah, his birth, his Jewish identity, how he would live as a perfect man, how he would die as a sacrificial savior. So all of those wonderful truths are going to be detailed by Bobby during the next few weeks. So let's listen to the first lesson. Advent. Believers worldwide celebrate this wondrous season every year. In the month leading up to Christmas, sanctuaries are decorated in different colors, 
Scripture is read on various themes, and all of it points to the miraculous birth of the Messiah. In a way, Jewish people have been celebrating a type of Advent since the first prophecy about the coming of a Savior, the anticipation of Jesus, the light of the world. The word Advent itself implies waiting, anticipation, and looking forward specifically to something that you are sure is coming. Advent, in fact, is Latin for coming, which characterizes the season. We are looking ahead to the coming of the Messiah, who we are sure is coming. The season begins on the fourth Sunday before Christmas, and each week there is a different theme related to hope and expectation. The weekly topics build on one another until Christmas when we celebrate the fulfillment of our waiting. The theme of the first week is hope. The Hebrew word for hope is tikva, which is based on the word that means to wait for. The patriarchs waited for the Lord to fulfill his promises, which is why the scripture readings focus on the fathers of the faith. Abraham believed God's promise and was willing to wait no matter how long it took. And this faith is what was credited to him as righteousness in Genesis 15:6. Waiting implies a firm belief that there is something to wait for. Abraham received a promise directly from the Lord. And most of the promises that we have today come to us through the prophets, especially when it comes to the Messiah. The hope we have for a Messiah is based on those prophecies, which are the focus of the second week of Advent. The foundation of hope is promise, and oftentimes God reveals his promises through prophecy. The third Sunday before Christmas is characterized by the reading of prophecies about the birth of Jesus. There are prophecies about when he will be born, like Daniel 9, where he will be born, like Micah 5, and even to whom he will be born, like in Isaiah 7. Believing that these prophecies will come to pass is reason to hope. Knowing that they have already come to pass is reason to celebrate. The Apostle Paul knew that believing in prophecy was the key to hopeful living. He told us, prophecy is for a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Unbelief turns prophecy into prose. However, faith transforms prophecy into promise. Recognizing that prophecy is the revelation of God is not only reason to hope, but reason for joy. And joy is the third theme of Advent. With only one more Sunday before Christmas, we now turn our attention to the joy we have in knowing our Messiah has come. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul wrote, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. This passage is central in the worship of this day. In Latin, the word rejoice is translated as Gaudete, which is the official name of this third Sunday of Advent, Gaudete Sunday. Rejoicing is what happens when the inner emotion of joy finds an outward expression. There is no joy greater than in the realization of God's promises being fulfilled. Fulfillment is the focus of the last Sunday of Advent the Sunday right before Christmas. The readings for the day are from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, which describes the angel Gabriel announcing to Mary that she will conceive and bear a son, even though she was a virgin. It was the final revelation that the fulfillment of God's promise was about to happen. Advent is really the celebration of revelation. God's revelation includes hope, prophecy, and joy but his greatest revelation to us is Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of hope, prophecy, and joy. 
So over the coming weeks, we will share with you the Jewish perspective on each of these four themes, hope, prophecy, joy, and fulfillment. We will look at what the Hebrew scriptures say about these subjects and how they each point us to the Messiah. And of course, the goal of Advent is to prepare us to celebrate His coming. So we hope that this series will deepen your celebration of Christmas this year. Welcome back. You're listening to The Chosen People. So, Mitch, as we mentioned earlier, the Bible mentions Hanukkah, but it comes up not in the Old Testament like we might think, but really it's in the New Testament in John 10, verse 22. But even there, it's just sort of mentioned in passing. So, here we are today in the 21st century as believers and followers of Jesus, and many of us may not know much about how we should relate to or celebrate this joyous holiday in modern times. So, I thought before we closed our program today, maybe we could spend a few minutes answering some questions about Hanukkah that we didn't get to talk about earlier today. Sounds good. I'm, I'm all ready, Bobby. Okay. My favorite holiday, remember that, or maybe second. Depends on what's on the menu. So. <laughs> okay. All right. So, question number one, Mitch. If Jesus celebrated Hanukkah, why is it not in the Hebrew Bible? Well, quite truthfully, the the obvious answer is because the Hebrew canon was already completed with the book of Malachi. And then we have 400 quote-unquote silent years. And so Hanukkah actually took place during those 400 silent years. And so even though Hanukkah never made it into the Old Testament, it does make it into the New Testament, (laughs) which goes to show that it was really uh, happening as a holiday at that time. But it's also recorded in the first and second book of Maccabees. And so these are non-canonical or extra-canonical books that oftentimes find their way into Catholic Bibles because they ended up in the Latin Vulgate. And so most of us have never accepted uh, the, actually, there were four books of Maccabees, the four books of Maccabees as canonical or as uh, to be included with the same level of inerrancy and inspiration as the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. But they do provide some pretty good Jewish history. Mm-hmm. And so we get history from the Maccabees, but we do not have God's inerrant word. And so, Bobby, it just never made it in. Wrong, right. wrong time in the wrong place. Right, right. So, just to kind of follow up uh, with this question, you describe it as the 400 silent years, you know, quote unquote, but I mean, certainly God was not silent (laughs) during those 400 years, right? (laughs) No. So, what was God doing during those 400 years and how does Hanukkah fit into it? Well, again, technically, the uh, book of the Maccabees, the four books, are part of the Apocrypha, which was a collection of intertestamental writings that again are really Jewish historical books. And uh, Jewish people can't quite figure out how Jewish historical books ended up in Catholic Bibles. (laughs) To be honest with you, people can't figure that one out. But anyway, there's a a lot going on, of course, during those uh, 400 years. Number one, the prophecy in Daniel chapter two predicted that the Greeks would actually Uh, take over, and then the Romans would take over from the Greeks. And so this line of oppressors to the nation of Israel was well predicted in the canonical books of the Old Testament, like the book of Daniel, and you actually see the working out of these prophecies during these 400 alleged silent years. It's not that God wasn't doing anything. 
prophecy was being fulfilled, a mile a, a minute, really. But there was no new biblical books written during that period. So, Mitch, just to close it out then, how should believers today relate to or celebrate Hanukkah? Well, first of all, I think it's fun for Christians to celebrate Hanukkah. It's a real children's event. You may not give your children gifts like I gave my children for every one of the eight days, you know, because, you know, well, it's expensive. Uh, But you might want to light the menorah. You can get a menorah from Chosen People Ministries. You can actually order one, and you can light one each night. That would be wonderful if you do something like that. And each of those candles will remind you of the brightness of God's presence in your lives and in your home and be a reminder of God's faithfulness. How can you actually celebrate Hanukkah, though? Well, number one, you can eat some of the foods. You can, of course, light the menorah. But more than anything, you can tell the story. You can tell the story of God's faithfulness to your children. You can tell the story of God's blessings upon the Jewish people and how God is using the Jewish people, has used the Jewish people, and will use the Jewish people in the future. You can start with Genesis 12, 1 through 3, and particularly remind your children that God has asked non-Jews to bless the Jewish people because of the role that Jewish people have in the plan of God. So I think there's a lot of different ways to do that, either simply through telling stories, teaching, singing some songs with your family, with your kids, or actually lighting the menorah, giving some gifts, and eating some potato latkes. I think that Christians are free to do these kinds of things. You can't go under the law by doing them because it was never part of the law. So it's just Jewish tradition, so enjoy it. The holidays are upon us, and soon we are going to start hearing holiday music everywhere we go. And so this year, as we get ready to celebrate Advent and Christmas, we'd like to invite you to experience this season through Jewish eyes. Advent Through Jewish Eyes will be on Thursday, December 9th, 2021 at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we hope you will join us at this free virtual event. Together, we will gain a deeper understanding of who Jesus is and why he came. To learn more, just visit chosenpeople.com radio. You're listening to The Chosen People, which is produced and sponsored by Chosen People Ministries. And if you missed any portion of today's message, or if you'd like to share this program with a friend, just go online to chosenpeople.com radio. And while you're there, let us know that you're listening this weekend. We'd love to hear from you, and we'd love to send you a special gift for free as our way of saying thank you for tuning in today. That's right. We're going to send you a very special 2021 through 22 calendar, which will help you stay up to date on all the biblical festivals for the next year. It has beautiful pictures of where Jesus would have walked in Israel, and so I think you're going to love it. So you can connect with us today. We're online at chosenpeople.com slash radio, or you can call us at 888-293-7482. That's 888, you ready? To Yeshua, Y-E-S-H-U-A. That's the Hebrew name for Jesus. And so we're so glad that you joined us, and I hope that you will connect with us. Uh, We have some great materials and resources on our website, and we'd love to send you that calendar. So take a moment, maybe uh, after you finish listening to the show, and just connect with us. We'd love to hear from you. And just so you know, you can also reach out to us and request the calendar by writing to us at Chosen People Ministries, 241 East 51st Street in New York, New York, 10022. 
And now to close with the ironic benediction, here's Neil Sarasky and Mitch Glazer. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the face of the Lord shine upon you and give you peace. B'Shem Shel Yeshua HaMashiach, Sar Shalom, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, the Prince of Peace.